If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 9, and we will begin in verse 37. Luke chapter 9 and verse 37. And we are continuing our series in the Gospel according to Luke. And you might remember the last week we looked at Jesus taking his inner circle, which was Peter, James, and John. You remember he took those three up on the mountain. We, we're not sure for, uh, we're not positive which mountain it was, but he was transfigured before them. And that is, he allowed them to see some of its glory. And as much as they would have liked to have stayed on the mountain, I'm sure, you remember Peter said, it's good for us to be here, so let's just set up three tabernacles, three tents, three booths, and we'll just set up camp for a little while. Uh, but as much as they would have liked to have stayed on the mountain, we can't do that at all times. Sometimes we must go through a valley. And that's where Jesus and his disciples uh, went. And that's where our, our uh, text today takes place. So if you found Luke chapter 9 and are able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 37 and read down to verse 45. It says, On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And his spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into, into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while, everybody was, while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them, so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Thank you. may be seated. <clears throat> now our text today, the first thing I want you to see is a desperate plea. A desperate plea. Now, our, our text begins as Jesus comes down from the mountain. He's just been transfigured before the disciples. You remember, um, this probably happened at night. He probably took the disciples up after this day of ministry. Uh, it, was, it was probably uh, evening or, or even late at night whenever he was transfigured before them. And so the next day, they go down the mountain to where they'd been before. He had left his other nine disciples down at the bottom of, of the mount. And... Uh, and, and you remember, this is just after Jesus had just recently fed over 5,000 people. Now, John's Gospel, John chapter 6, I believe it is, tells us that, that uh, Jesus gave this teaching about being the bread of life and so on and so forth. And that when he did that, many of the, disciples, or many of the people that were following him turned and left and stopped following him. Even though that was the case, there were still many people who were coming out and seeing what he was doing, hearing what he had to teach, and, and so on and so forth. Now, the Gospel of Mark tells us that this large crowd was gathered specifically around the nine disciples that Jesus left. And the reason for that, the Bible says this, this crowd was surrounding them, and scribes were arguing with the nine. Now, Jesus, when he gets down there, he asks what they're arguing about, and that's when somebody from the crowd, and it turns out to be this, this man who has a demon-possessed son, this man yells out that he had brought his son to the disciples, and they had not been able to cast out the demon. In other words, Jesus says, what are you guys arguing about? And the, the topic of their discussion evidently was the inability of the disciples to cast out the demon. 
Now, when you think about it, why? I mean, what, what would they have been arguing about? We don't know exactly what was said because the Bible doesn't record it, but I suspect it has to do with Jesus' ministry in general and his commission to the disciples in particular. Because you remember at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs, and he commissioned them. He said, I want you to go out. I want you to do three things. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to heal the sick. And what's the last thing? Cast out demons. And so they went out and they did that. And so word was getting around that these disciples were doing that. Word was getting around that Jesus was, was able to cast out demons. And yet here this, this man brings a boy to these disciples and they're not able to cast it out. And so my suspicion is that these scribes are always looking for a reason to jump on Jesus. They're always looking for a reason to argue against him. And so, so, so my suspicion is they were arguing, they were pointing to him saying, you guys are frauds. Both you and your leader is a fraud. That's why you can't cast out this demon. Now, now we don't, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that, but that's what I suspect is the case. So anyway, these people are arguing with the disciples, and Jesus comes down, and this man, in verse 38, this man cries out, he calls out, and he begs Jesus for help. Now understand when it says that he begs, him to, begs, them to, begs him to help, he's not just saying, yeah, if... If you get around to it, if you wouldn't mind maybe taking a look at, at my situation, this isn't just a request. This isn't just asking. He's not just mentioning it. He's pleading. He's begging. He's imploring. He's, he, he's beseeching. He's seeking. He's, he's begging Jesus to intervene. He is desperate for Jesus to help. And when we look at the description of this young man, we see why. First, notice what he says. It is his only son. It's his only son. Now, the, the, your, there are a few words in, in our text today that your Bible may translate a little bit differently from mine or your neighbor's because a couple of the words have some, uh, there's is what's called a semantic domain, has a range of meanings. Now, when he says, it's my only son or my only child, your Bible may say, in the text, it just says, he is my only. Does it mean my only son, my only child? We're not for sure. Uh, the word that's used there is monogenes, which is rendered elsewhere in the New Testament as only begotten. So like, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. It speaks of this special relationship. And, and so whichever way we take it, whether it's this man's only child or his only son, either way, he is very dear to his father. Next I want you to see that, that this, he has some significant difficulties. Look at verse 39. When he's afflicted by the Spirit, it says that he suddenly screams, he falls to the ground, and goes into convulsions. In other words, his, the, the, the muscles in his body spasm. They, they cause him to become stiff, to quiver, and to shake. And he, he foams at the mouth as, as that saliva is, is whipped into a froth. He is in a pitiful state. And it's only with difficulty that it leaves him. In other words, once this episode starts, it takes a long time. It continues on and keeps going on and on. And this man is helpless as he watches his son be in that condition. When the Spirit finally does stop tormenting him, the Bible says that he, as, as he's leaving as, as one last bit of, of spite and hatred and malice, the Bible, my Bible translates that word with mauls. It says that he mauls the man, the, the young man. Your Bible may say that he shatters him or, or, or breaks him. The word that's used there has the idea of, of being battered or broken into pieces. It has the idea of being crushed. This young man is in a terrible state. 
Matthew, Mark record this incident as well, and they include some other symptoms that Luke does not, uh, does not include. They tell us that, that, that when this happens, and it has often happened since he was a young man, the Bible tells us that he would often, when, when he'd have one of these convulsions, he would fall into a fire, or he would fall into the water. And you can imagine if, if, if a person were in that state, and their, bottom, their, their body was, was spasming, and they, they couldn't move, they would be severely burned or they could drown. You can, you can imagine the anxiety that they had any time this young man was around any of those things. Mark records that it makes him mute. Evidently that muteness was overcome at least a couple of times because he would scream when he would have one of these episodes. It also says that he grinds his teeth and his body becomes stiff. Now when you look at that and you, you read down through the symptoms, uh, you may notice that this is almost a textbook description of an epileptic seizure. And so some people, especially the, the critics of, of Scripture, critics of Christianity, will, will look at that and say, well, see, this is just a primitive people ascribing to demonic forces what we can explain with simple brain activity. And so they say, see, this is, this is not demonic. This is, just, this, is just, uh, this is just a bunch of fairy tales. But we need, to, we need to know and we need to remember that when we read through the Gospels, the Bible will differentiate between things like demonic activity and epilepsy. So, for instance, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24 said, The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, though suffering from various diseases and pains, demoniacs, so there's demon-possessed, epileptics, there's the other category, paralytics, and he healed them. You also notice when you read through the scriptures that the devil will sometimes use physical ailments, physical afflictions to torment and harm people. So for instance, in Luke chapter 13, verse 11, it says, There was a woman who, who, for, thir- who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and cannot straighten up at all. Or Matthew 12, 22, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and Saul, Paul in, in one of his letters talks about having a thorn in the flesh. It was a physical ailment of some kind, and he calls it a messenger sent from Satan to buffet me. And I say all that to say this, not all sickness, including seizures, is caused by demonic activity. You get a cold, that doesn't mean that the devil's afflicting you. But sometimes the devil did, and I think still does, use physical challenges to make people suffer. We, we, see it throughout the, we see it throughout Scripture. And as we think about our own lives, it could be that you're suffering today. And sometimes whenever we run into a difficulty in life, what's the first thing we think? Why, God? Why me? Why is this happening to me? What, what have I done? And, and sometimes our, our ailments are sometimes a natural consequence of what we've done. If you are an alcoholic and you have cirrhosis of the liver, that's not some special judgment on, uh, from God or a demonic activity. That's just a natural consequence of your actions. If you smoke 12 packs a day and you get lung cancer, this is not a special judgment from God. This is not demonic activity. That is just a natural consequence of your actions. Sometimes our, our aches and our pains and our illnesses are simply because we live in a fallen world. And our bodies are full of death and decay. I mean, we, we see it every day. You feel it every morning when you get out of bed. You look in the mirror, you see it. You look at your significant other, you don't see it there, but you see it on everybody else. 
I mean, we see it, we feel it, we know it. Sometimes our illnesses are simply because we live in a fallen world. But sometimes the devil uses physical hardships, like in the case of Paul, to afflict us. And in those times, as God told Paul when he was suffering with his thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient. So whatever comes our way, whether it's good or bad, even the physical pain, God can use that and will use that to mold us into Christ's likeness. And it's often in those times when, when, we've, when we're going through those things, or, or especially after we've gotten through those things, that then God will use us to minister to others who are in similar situations. So first we see a desperate plea. Second, I want you to see a difficult removal. A difficult removal. Now this man knew about Jesus. That's why he brought his son to him. And of course, uh, Jesus wasn't there that, at that time. So, so the next best thing, if you, can't, if you can't work with the rabbi, you work with the disciples of the rabbi. And so he, he brings this man, uh, this, this young man, to the disciples. They couldn't cast out the demon. They tried to help, but they couldn't. And the reason was because they didn't have that, that, that power and that ability within themselves. Jesus had that ability within himself. They did not. And the same is true today. We need God's help. Because you and I are powerless to accomplish spiritual good on our own. Because we can't change a heart. Now, have you ever tried to be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life? I mean, you, you, you will try and, and make little remarks to people. Maybe it's a, a, a spouse. Maybe it's a, 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 a child. A, a, I don't know, a, a, anybody. Coworker. And you should try to make little comments thinking, well, if I just say this, that will convict them. That'll get them all, hit them with a zinger, and they'll go home thinking about that, and they'll, they'll fall on their knees and repent. I just know it. Have you ever noticed how little good that does? Now, I'm not saying that we should be silent about things, but I am saying that only God can soften a heart. What I am saying is that only God can make that change. He's the one that accomplishes spiritual good. It's God who takes the, the, the written word of God as it's read and as it's preached, and he will apply it to someone's life, and, and they will be helped, and they will be encouraged, and they will be convicted. It's God who brings about salvation, not us. And, and, and when you or I or any other Christian, when, when, when we teach or we preach or we witness or we minister in any other way, if we're going to be successful, we must rely on the Spirit's power. And these disciples, they didn't have the ability to do it within themselves, and they were with Jesus every day. And we don't have the ability within ourselves to do it either. Now, if you'll notice what Jesus says, look at verse 41. He says, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Man, it seems like Jesus is being kind of harsh, doesn't it? And, and I, you, can, you can just hear the, the tone of, of grief in his words. And I think it's important to note that he's not, I don't believe he's reaming the dad and raking him over the coals for bringing his son to him. I think, and Mark makes this, he's not singling him out, Mark makes this clear in his wording. He says that Jesus answered them, not him. He answered them. He's speaking to the crowds. He's speaking to the disciples. He was grieved that the crowds who had, who had been with him, they had seen the miracles. They had heard the teaching. They would seen and, and heard all these things and yet, they, they still had so much unbelief. 
But even more so, these disciples who couldn't cast out the demon, I think he was grieved at their slowness to believe as well. And I think that's primarily who this is directed towards. He is frustrated that these disciples who have been with him for so long couldn't do this one thing. Third, I want you to see, we've seen a difficult removal. Third, I want you to see a display of power. A display of power. Look at verses 42 and following. Jesus has a young man brought to him as the boy approaches. And some people look at this and say, well, this is just a coincidence when it happened. I think think the demon knew what was getting ready to happen. He was not happy. He's going to get in one last hurrah. And so he, he, as he approached Jesus, the demon slammed him to the ground, slammed the boy to the ground, threw him into convulsion, and then Jesus came over and he rebuked this demon. And, and here we see, we, we've seen all throughout the Gospel of Luke, the absolute authority of Christ. He doesn't do a big mystical ceremony. He doesn't say, turn down the lights, turn on the fog machine, and play dramatic music quietly. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He says, he, he just rebukes the demon and he has no choice but to obey. A simple word of rebuke. The, the disciples, we don't know what all they did, but they were ineffective in whatever it was that they did. And Jesus simply says the word, and the demon leaves. He heals him, and I, I think probably it could just be that he casts out the demon, that's the extent of it. It wouldn't surprise me if this boy didn't have um, you know, burn marks and stuff like that from years of falling into the fires. It, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if Jesus didn't make him fully, completely, totally well physically as, as well. But at the very least, he casts out the demon, gives him back to the father, and the people were amazed at what had happened. If you look at verse 43, it says, they were amazed at the greatness of God, and, and, and they were marveling at all that he was doing. They were struck with amazement. And so finally, I want you to see disloyalty foretold. Disloyalty foretold. So this great crowd of people Picture this, they, all these people, hundreds, probably thousands of people witness what Jesus has done. Word is spreading to those who are on the, on, the, on the fringes who couldn't see it very well. And people begin to talk and murmur and, and celebrate and, and, and grab each other by the shoulders and, and, and shake each other and, and, and are smiling and, and laughing. They're amazed at what Jesus is doing. And in the midst of the din of that crowd, Jesus turns to his disciples and he prepares them for the cross. He says, let these words sink into your ears. In other words, boys, listen up. Pay attention to what I'm telling you. Now, verse 22, he had told them, really, for the first time, I'm going to suffer and die and be rejected. But he, he gets more specific here. And he says, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. In other words, I'm going to be betrayed. See, what what happened with with Judas, that wasn't a surprise to Jesus. None of this was a surprise to Jesus. Now, the disciples were were men of their time. They thought of them in the Messiah's kingdom as as an immediate, physical, visible, political reality that was soon to come onto the scene. And, and they didn't understand all this talk about dying and being betrayed and rising again. And, and because of that, they missed what Jesus was talking about. They were blinded by their own understanding, or misunderstanding, rather. And we see it again, the cross before the crown. The cross before the crown. The, the crowds were seeing his praises, and Jesus reminds his disciples in the midst of that, I'm headed to the cross. 
You remember from what he said a, a, a time or two ago when we looked at this, and not only am I going to the cross, I call you to go to the cross too. I call you daily to take up your cross and follow me. Now listen, he's, he's talking to you and me today. Take up your cross and follow me. Daily, take up your cross and follow me. Now this didn't make any sense to the disciples. This is not their way. This is not their plan. He takes what we would naturally assume, he takes what the world would naturally do, and he turns it on its head. And, and that's true in Christian life. It starts at salvation. Because, because the Bible says that, that the gospel, that preaching is foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. And, and God will take the foolishness and the weakness of preaching, and he'll bring about faith. Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And he'll take that, the, the, the foolishness of the preached word of God, and he'll apply it to the, to the sinner's life. And they will realize that they are sinners against a holy God. And the Bible says in one of the Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 7, that every day God is indignant with the sinner. And the Bible talks about him making, making ready his, his, the pictures of, of, of the weapons of war at the time, of, of the bow and of the sword. In other words, he's preparing for judgment. And the Bible says that if, if man does not repent, they will experience that judgment. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. And that if anyone will put their faith in him, they will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And, and that's what doesn't make sense to, to, to the world. That's, not, that's what makes no sense to the unbeliever. Apart from God's work in their life. God is the one who will take that and apply it to their heart. And it could be that, that there's somebody even today that's, that's hearing me. That this is the first time that's ever sunk in. This is the first time that's ever got in, into your heart. And the Bible says that if you will repent and believe on Christ, you will be saved. And if you've never done that, do that today. But listen, this is, this is like I said, it's, it's really a, a framework for all the Christian life because what God does a lot of times does not make sense to us because as he says in, in the Old Testament I believe it's in Isaiah his ways are not our ways his plans are not our plans his thoughts are not our thoughts his ways are way up here and we're way down here in the dust we don't get it we don't understand our job is not to understand it all beforehand our job is to take up our cross daily and follow him each step of the way why don't you stand with me as uh, musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just, I, I want to, offer you, implore you to trust on Christ if you've never done that. If you've never turned from your sin and trusted Christ for salvation, He is the only way that you can be saved. Trust in Him today. Maybe you're here and you have some physical 
difficulty, you're afflicted in some way. You know, there are people who say that if you have sickness, it's because you have a lack of faith and so forth. That's not the case. Sometimes it's because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes it's our own fault. Sometimes the devil will use different means to try and and harm others. Maybe you need to call on God for His sufficient grace today. Maybe you have a loved one who has never accepted Christ they're going through on those difficulties or whatever it is, lift those people up in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that Jesus didn't sugarcoat things. He didn't uh, give us a, a false advertisement. He told us up front that it was Following him would be a death march. It'd be a call to deny ourselves, to follow him no matter what. And God, I pray that if there's somebody that's, that's hearing this today that is going through a time of, of challenge, a physical challenge, spiritual challenge, Maybe there's just a lot of spiritual warfare going on and, and they just feel like they're battling it every day. God, I pray for them. I lift them up to you. I ask that you would strengthen them, help them in the ways that they need. If there are some lessons that we need to learn from uh, things that we're going through, help us to, to learn those. And God, for that person maybe who's never turn to Christ for salvation. Help them to see Him in His glory and in His beauty. That they would turn from the things of this world and turn to Him for salvation. Even right where they are, that they would do that. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.